0: Welcome all you guys that have joined us this morning. We're going to read from Psalm 20 from the Hebrew translation. I like the way this reads. It says, May the Lord answer you in the time of trouble, and the name of Jacob's God keep you safe. May He send you help from the sanctuary and sustain you from Zion. May he receive the tokens of all your meal offerings and approve your burnt offerings. May he grant you your desire and fulfill your every plan. May we shout for joy in your victory arrayed by the standards in the name of our God. And may the Lord fulfill your every wish. Now I know that the Lord will give victory to his anointed and will answer him from his heavenly sanctuary with the mighty victories of his right arm. Who's the right arm? Jesus. They call on chariots and they call on horses, but we call on the name of the Lord our God. Listen to this last line. They collapse and lie fallen, but we rally and gather strength. O Lord, grant victory. May the King answer us when we call. The Bible's clear about something. When this is over and we're getting close to the world coming to its final destination... When this thing's over, there's only one thing going to be left standing. That's going to be God, his word, and those who, who stand with him. That's it. Everything else will be gone. And so we should, take, we should take comfort and confidence in this. That they collapse and lie fallen, but we rally and gather strength. We know how this is going to end. Stop all the noise from all the, the, the scholars out there that ain't spent a day in the Bible from telling us how the world's going to end. None of that's going to happen that way. It's going to happen exactly like this Word teaches. And that gives us great confidence and strength. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give us some praise please. Aren't you thankful that God sent His only begotten Son? To us and rescued us from our sin and our shame and our guilt. He sent His Son to take our place on that cross. We should have been the ones nailed to that tree. But God sent His only begotten Son to take our place. He deserves our praise for that. Amen. I praise you, Lord. I give you glory. Children's Church is dismissed. The rest of you may be seated. We have two nurseries next door as well. We have a child for the nursery. <clears throat> I want to say thank you for those, uh, those of you that participated in sending the boxes to uh, South Dakota to the Indian Reservation. They needed those this year. They uh, were getting so it was good that we could step up our game with that and be a blessing to them as well. So uh, next couple of weeks, uh, on Christmas Eve morning, we'll have family worship. I'm going to preach some stuff that I've never preached before. Some things the Lord's taught me about Christmas. <clears throat> and uh, next uh, Sunday, I may set that up with some things you uh, need to consider. But this morning, I want to take us back to James, uh, where we were at Wednesday night. Because I believe it's important that everybody hears what's being said. And then we'll go a couple of other places Uh, after we start here in James. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of James, and let's pick up with verse 19 in chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 19. We're going to see a couple of things here. I think it's important that we all understand what's being said here. So I want to make sure the wider audience gets this. We're going through the book of James on Wednesday night, and it is... If I lead anybody to Christ or somebody's a new believer, that's the first place I send them is to the book of James so they can understand Christianity, practical Christianity and faith. It's the first thing we need to get grounded in before we learn about all the other things. And so we're working through there on Wednesday, but I want to pick up in verse 19 and show you a few things and uh, uh, show you some fresh revelation that I had Wednesday night. He says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak. What if we all live that way? Uh, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So he said, To be slow, uh, swift to hear and slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Then he says, So uh, he says, uh, Because it does not produce the righteous God. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. And receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And this word I've used some in the past. And futos uh, is the Greek word for implanted. Uh, here in the New King James he says that implanted word. That word in phutos, means deposited. So when you're reading the Word or under the Word or listening to the Word or reading it out loud, I I recommend that there be some times throughout your week where you read the Word out loud or listen to it because faith comes by hearing and hearing of the Word of God. And even if it's you and your spouse uh, sitting down together to have some devotional time, I recommend you read it out loud. There's something to that. But what happens is when you're under the Word, whether you're studying it yourself, you're in a, in a setting like we're in today, you, the deposits are coming in. So we, we see how vital the Word of God is when we watch Jesus' life. When the Satan came after him to tempt him, he used the Word of God to defend himself, right? That's when the devil was trying to get him to follow his lead, he, used, he came back at him with the Word of God. So it's important for you and I to make those regular deposits so that when we deal with life and Satan both that we have something to draw from, right? It's just like a checking account. If you don't make deposits when you need something you won't have anything to draw from. And and so we see that. I grew up in coal mining communities where these little old country stores were there and flourishing back in those days. And if somebody wrote a bad check then they would stick it up for everybody to see. It meant they didn't have enough funds, right, to draw any out to pay their bill or whatever. So that that's kind of the same principle here when we're talking about God's Word, that if you don't make deposits you 're not going to have anything to withdraw, and it 's going to be important to have things to draw from and so these guys he 's telling us to make sure and he's, he makes an interesting comment here at the, which is able to save your souls and we, we renew our minds with god 's word, and that soulless realm. It's where most of our battling takes place. That's where the the confrontations take place between good and evil. What to do. To do the right thing or to do the wrong thing. That temptation. It comes in to that seat up there where your mind, your will, and emotions are at. Because that's where decisions are made. Depending on how much input. So if you've got the Spirit of God and you're making those deposits with His Word. You've got more to draw from. You give your spiritual man... More power and more weaponry as he comes out to attack or to make his stance. Then the world and Satan are always flooding in with these things into that same arena. And that's where the battle takes place, right? Between good and evil, even inside of us, right? We find that struggle that Paul talks about there in Romans chapter 7 that comes alive at times. And then he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, this is plain talk, really not much to say, he is like a man observing his uh, his natural face in a mirror, uh, for he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. And that's not true, right? I mean, we don't forget that, but that's how silly that would be, right? For us to do that. But he that's really what the point is being stressed here. For us to... Hear the truth and turn away from it is really that ridiculous. Because it's, that's the only thing, as I said in the beginning, the only thing that's going to be left standing is the truth of God as we come to the close of this age. And then he says, But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty or God's word and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. And then this is another word that we use sometimes. It's markarios. It is the Greek word for blessed. It means somebody who's a recipient of divine favor. So basically God is going to support his word, back up his word, fulfill his word as we continue in it. As we don't just hear it and turn away. Now Jesus gave us some illustrations of that, right? With the parable of the sower. He talked about four places that the word would be sown on and only one of them would bear fruit because situations would arise, right? I think the first one he said, the devil would come and steal it away, right? here's, Here's the enemy working in us. When you hear the word, and you may say something like this, well, I know that works for some people, but for me, right? The devil's stealing that word from you immediately. God's word never returns void. So, you cannot listen if you're looking for an excuse, the Satan will always be kind enough to hand you an eye off one. He will give us an excuse, but that's that's when that doubt comes in. Then the second one comes up cares of this life, then some get persecuted. And they turn away from it because they don't want to endure the persecution. And then the cares of this life take it away because people just get too busy. I heard a woman say because uh, she couldn't go to church because that's Sunday's the day she cleaned her house. Does everybody want to laugh? We might all need to laugh. It's how foolish I was when I went to a chiropractor one time. And I I said... uh, He said, your back's getting out of whack because you're sitting on, I drive a lot. And he said, because you're sitting on your wallet. And I said, well, what should I do? (laughs) That's a stupid response, isn't it? Take your wallet out of your pocket, dummy. (laughs) He didn't say that. He looked at me and just started smiling because I, I knew what the answer was. And so, for the last 25 years or so, I, when I get in my vehicle, my wallet gets thrown in the console. So that that what should she do? What should that woman do? She should clean her house on another day. Is what she should do, or stay up late one night? She should not miss God's house to do that, right? And and but we'll find those excuses, and and it's because when we find those excuses because the reason we use them is because our will is more important than His. Now that's a little heavier. But that's why we use those excuses because what we want to do and how we want to live life is more important. So we want to be a recipient of divine favor. That's, that's the same word that's used in what we call the Beatitudes, the recipient of divine favor. How many of you want to be a recipient of divine favor? We all do. If anyone among you thinks he is, uh, I'm, let me back up. Just a minute. He said he'll be a recipient of divine favor in what he does. Well, that's pretty broad, right? In all things. And some of you know that. I feel like, I feel like God is on my side. How many of you feel that way? I really believe God is on my side. <clears throat> I, 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 everything don't go the way I plan, but I see how God works things and brings them to my good over time. And and if you read that verse in Romans 8, all things work together for good to them. And there's some qualifications, right? To them that love God. Now, if you love God, that means, he said, if you love me, you'll do what? You'll obey me, right? So that's love, right? How do you know if you love God? Whether or not you obey him. That's how you know. That's the litmus test. But then he goes on. There's another qualification to those who are called according to his purpose. And that's where the problem lies. We forget that part of that verse because we had our own purposes, right? And we think God ought to show up and do good in those purposes. But He does things for His purpose. And so the Greek would say that like this, God enters into all things to bring good out of. Because God don't cause our messes. But we've watched in our own lives and we read about messes that men and women create, even in the Scripture, where God enters into those and brings good out of them. That's the kind of God we serve. But He does it according to His purpose. And so I'm starting to understand that whether in poverty or wealth, whether in sickness or in health, whether in war or in peace, if my life and yours is used to bring God glory and honor, then we've been successful. All of those situations all of us are probably going to find ourselves in at some season in our journey. You've probably found yourself in a place of poverty. You may have found yourself in a place of riches. You may have found yourself in a place of health. You may have found yourself in a place of sickness. You may have found yourself in a place of war. And you may have found yourself in a time of peace. But the goal is for you and I to bring glory and honor to God in all of those seasons. We can't get upset with God We can't start trying to find our own purpose and do things our way. We've got to understand that he's using us in those seasons and and bringing his purpose about. If anyone among you, verse 26, thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but he deceives his own heart, right? This one's religion is useless. Here's another word. Uh, Matios is the Greek word here for useless, and it means void of result. I think King James, old King James says, bang, it's a good word, and it means somebody, is, hey, when's the last time you heard the word use bootless? Not talking about somebody without any shoes, but the word bootless. It means without, without, uh, without any kind of gain, right? No gain, and so no benefit. So basically, God's saying, if we just let our mouths run wild, our, our religion is not benefiting us or others. And it's no, there's no gain there. There's no gain. It's void of result, is the Greek word. Void of result, same as the English word bootless. No benefits, nothing coming out of it. And, and so, when we see an empty suit, even out there... You know what we do? Let's just be real. And it happens in the church too. But out there, let's just, let's just take it outside for a minute. When we see an empty suit in our culture, whether they're in business, politics, education realm, wherever they're at, when we see it, you know what I do? When I see an empty suit? You know what I'm saying when I say empty suit? Somebody that's don't make any sense, right? Somebody that's bootless. <laughs> I just turn them off. <laughs> Turn them off. You don't have to fuss at the TV. Change the channel. <laughs> Take your wallet out of your pocket and don't sit on it. Clean your house on another day. Right? What you, we, we just turn them off. And sometimes that happens even inside the church world. People finally, they just turn them off. They just let them keep on rambling, but they just turn them off. Because their religion is useless. has no results. And then let's go on down here. He says, But uh, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. Now, I'm going to take you somewhere else, but I'm setting the foundation back here where we were at Wednesday. He says, To visit orphans and widows in their trouble. And that's a lot of what we do here with, with this ministry. There are three high commands when it comes to mission work and, and uh or four, I should say. Helping the poor. We have a food pantry. We're heavily involved in the food ministry. In all of this ministry. Orphanage. We're heavily invested in those. The widows. People like that. And then Israel. We're commanded to do those four things. We're commanded those. Those are not optional. You don't get to say, yeah, but I like this. Let me, let me say something to that. We, we've come into a culture that says, only call me if it's something I'm good at. Since when do we all get to do things we like only? Right? Oh, I'm not good at that. Well, maybe I'll do it anyway. Then you can get good at it. A lot of people, well, this is what I'm gifted at. That's what I... When did the world turn to where we only get to do what we like? That's never been true. But yet we're... We're turning that way. Don't bother me, preacher, to come and and be a sub in the nursery because I play the guitar. (laughs) Be a servant. Get good. Maybe you need some snot running off your shirt. (laughs) Might humble you a little bit, right? (laughs) One of the most humbling things is to pick up a baby and realize... Its diaper has emptied out on you. <laughs> so he says, "Pure religion undefiles." Take care of these, and then he uh, he says, and uh, he says, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. This is uh, a word I want to share with you because it is a powerful word. Uh, aspilos is the Greek word unspotted. And this is the fresher revelation I have. Because when you read that, you kind of think about, and this is what happened to me in Psalm 84, and I, if, I, if I had one chapter to preach from, and could only preach from one every day, it might be Psalm 84. But in there, he says, God will withhold no good thing, thing from those who walk upright. And when you read that from a carnal perspective, or just from a normal, just looking at it, you're thinking, well, that's somebody that really does good all the time. Uh, he won't, won't hold, but it's not. That's not what he's saying. The Hebrew word to most of you heard me describe it, means somebody who stays coupled, right? Doesn't mean somebody who's perfect. It means somebody who refuses to come uncoupled. That's right? good news for all of us because the good, the bad news is none of us are perfect. The good news is Jesus was, and we need to stay coupled to Him. So that's this is the same kind of word. When you read that word unspotted, you're thinking somebody who don't ever mess up, right? It's not what he's saying here. He's saying, and this is important because of the time we're living in. This word means that somebody who will not alter the commandments. Now, have we never seen a time, I don't believe, where we have changed God's word and altered it to fit our lifestyles? Even inside the church. The world certainly has abandoned it and done their own thing. But even inside the church now, we have altered God's Word to fit lifestyles. In fact, there are churches now being raised up in this country with their theme being sexual immorality. That's their theme. That's their mission statement. We are here for the people. They don't call it that because that don't sound right, right? That's what the Bible calls it, and that's what I'm going to continue to call it because this preacher's not for sale. But... They, 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 they build the whole premise of the church is on people who have alternate lifestyles that are contrary to what the Bible teaches. And, and, and so that, those things are raised up. What are they doing? They're, they're, they're altering God's commands. So, let me give you an example. Somebody who that, keeps that, uh, that says the commandment is right even if they're wrong. That's what this person is. This is a person who says, the commandment's right, even if I'm wrong. So, for instance, uh, this is uh, widely known by Allah. you can be forgiven for having an abortion. Moses killed a man, he was forgiven, and God raised him up and still used him. Right? You can be forgiven for having an abortion. But you cannot call abortion okay. That's the kind of people he's talking about here, right? You, you can be forgiven for whatever sin. I just use that one because it's a uh, big cultural relevance, right? You, but you, you can be forgiven for your sin. But you cannot call your sin okay. That's altering the command. So that's the people, right? We talked about these people a, few, a couple of months ago about people who uh, are so committed that they'll do the right thing even if it brings them harm. Remember that word? And the Greek, people that are committed to doing the right thing, even if it brings them personal harm. Because they refuse to alter the commands. And that's what this Greek word has its power and strength in. People who refuse to alter the commands of God, and that's who we've got to be, because we are we are the standard bear, bearers. And also, the same person is the one, when they miss the mark, when they pull the arrow back, as the Greek, the harm uh, arrow and they missed the mark they don't say well the mark was wrong they say the mark's fine i was wrong see that's the kind of people god's talking about here he's not talking about people who are perfect again he's talking about people who say i refuse to alter the commandment to my own hurt right what's the bible say in fact let's turn over there i didn't have this let's go to psalm 15 in the book of, of psalms let's look at psalm 15. And now, let me read this to you to remind you who the people are that find favor with God. And this is, right, the blessed, the Markarios. And and Psalm 15 verse 1 says, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who who walks uprightly, there we go, the guy that stays connected, right? Refuses to let go, right? That's Jacob in fact that is what's being said there in Hebrews it don't come across that way in the English let's let them slip right those who stay hanging on those who are connected right what do we tell somebody it's, it's it's basically like being in a water there in the book of Hebrews where he says that we let them slip it's like somebody being in a stream that the water's overflowing and they're hanging on to a limb and you're telling them hey hang on hang on to that limb do not let it go. Same kind of principle. He says, he who walks uprightly, he who walks righteousness, uh, works righteousness, I'm sorry, and speaks the truth in his heart. Right? Even when nobody else is around. Are you honest with yourself? I have have moments like Floyd the barber on Andy Griffith. I go look in the mirror and I say, you wretch, you wretched guy. Why did you do that? Right? Why did you think that? You know, Floyd, when he was lying about his to the, his pen pal. Uh, and he says, uh, he who does not backbite with his tongue. Now, we just read there in James that if our, our tongue's not under control, our religion is useless. Right? And he says, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take a reproach against his friend. Right? In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. And that word despise would be better translated as somebody who's not esteemed, not somebody who's hated. We kind of get the wrong idea sometimes with that English word. But somebody who's not esteemed. He don't, he don't you know, I, I don't want my children or grandchildren looking up to no athlete, I don't care how good he is, if he hates God or don't give a hoot about God. And, uh, or any profession for that matter. You know, we honor these people that really shouldn't be honored. And, uh, but he honors those who fear the Lord, right? And we've done the same thing with musicians out in our culture. And, and movie stars, people that hate God. Some of them even hate God. and Some of them certainly despise Him in the correct way to use that word. They think He's useless. He has no value in their life. And we honor them anyway. We'll hear a a foul-mouthed comedian thank God for a reward they got. I mean, it's just just crazy how our culture has altered God's Word. And he says, He who swears, listen to this, He who swears to his own hurt and does not change, that person who's committed to keeping their word, even if, if it brings them harm. He who does not put out his money to usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. So this word is somebody somebody who refuses to alter God's commands, His word, no matter what. Now, if I could take you, I believe it's Deuteronomy and the book of Revelation, we're cautioned about that, right? He said if anybody adds to this word or takes away from it, they will have their part in the lake of fire. Now, I want to say something to you. I love everybody. I love all you that are watching. I'll be here to help you any way I can. But if you're willing to alter God's Word, I can't help you. If if you don't esteem that as the number one thing, if you've ever said under me, for counseling or instruction one-on-one or as a couple or whatever you know that I'll use the word of God most of the time and if I give you an opinion I will make it clear it's an opinion unless I've had a direct word from the Holy Spirit to hand off to you but we need to be those people that, that stand for God's word even to our own hurt what happened to John Huss? he got burned at the stake he was worshiping as they burned him. What happened to Stephen? You've got to be ready. You've got to be ready. Stephen wasn't called as we see it as one of the apostles. They raised him up to be somebody who ministered to the children, the, their needs in the natural realm. And then all of a sudden God said, I'm going to raise you up. You're going to preach one of the greatest sermons that the world's ever heard. And he was ready. How do we know he was ready? Because he went all the way back to the Old Testament. He knew his Bible. See, that's what I'm saying to you. You may be sitting over there thinking, well, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not called to get in the pulpit. That's not my call. But you've got to be ready. And you need to be studying God's word, whether it's Genesis, Exodus, or the book of Revelation. Be ready, because God wants to use all of us, and all of us have a sphere of influence, right? That you have a, a circle of influence. I don't have. Sometimes they overlap. But we all have a sphere. There's people you can reach. I can't reach. And vice versa. So God is He's, he's calling us to be those people who refuse to alter his word. That's got to be us. We have to be the ones that say we refuse to alter. We got to do it in love. But we got to take our stand. Many people have lost their lives. For taking a stand on God's word. Now let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let me show you a few things in here. Uh, as we think about people who refuse. We're called to not alter God's word. Even if we don't like it at the moment. Even if we've broken it at the moment. We don't alter it. We live with it. Right? We, we live with it. Look at this next verse. In verse 1 of chapter 3. He's going to speak to us about our time. He says, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. It means dangerous. I don't think there's no lack of agreement that the times are dangerous in our world. For men will be lovers of themselves. That's where we're at. They love themselves. Lovers of money. We We all got to guard against that. I say, you give a country boy a thousand dollars, he feel like a guy on Wall Street with a million, don't he? That country boy goes and gets one of them big wallets with a chain on it. So he says, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers. Look at the, the things that he said would be going on in the last days. And we see all this. Disobedient to parents. Unthankful. Unholy. Unloving unforgiving, slanderers, notice how the world don't want to forgive anybody anymore without self- control, brutal despisers of good there that is, altering the commandments, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God that 's these folks this is the day we live in people who Love these things, love themselves more than they love God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into houses and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now there's a scripture. Where God talks about giving people over to believe a lie that they would be damned. And here's why. Because they did not love the truth. That's why. In other words, they refused to embrace the truth, to hold to it. They have decided to alter the truth to fit their own life or what they wanted to do. And those are the people we cannot be if we're going to be disciples of Jesus Christ. A Christian is someone who follows the teachings of Jesus. That's what a Christian is. A Christian is not somebody who follows the Baptist or the Methodist or the Pentecostals or the Lutherans or whatever. A Christian is someone who follows the teachings of the Bible. That's what a Christian is. Somebody who follows the teachings of Jesus. Uh, And then he says, these are those people that he talks about. They're never able to come to the knowledge of truth. If we turn from truth, we don't have anywhere else to go. Where else is there? Then he says, Now as jannies and Jamborees resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapprove concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was. So these are people who come in, they're trying to live like the world and hang on to the body and to Christ at the same time. But you have carefully followed my doctrine. He's talking to Timothy. Manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me in Antioch and Iconum and Lystra. Now this is why we're challenged to, to uh, change, to alter God's Word. You're going to be a fish out of the water. If you stand with God's Word in your circle, most likely at work, most, I, I, you know, it's sad to say, but even preachers who hold to the Word of God are fish out of water in some circles now. Because if we refuse to compromise the Word there are so many preachers and ministries that are compromising the word it's happening to all vocations not just your all's but mine you know I had somebody in my circle say to me not long ago happy holidays and I said Merry Christmas I refuse to let go I'm like that pit bull hanging on to that thing right because I don't want to continue to go down this path with the world and with half the church where God's Word can be altered or reappropriated to fit the situation. We don't come to God's Word to fit it to us. We come to God's Word to fit us to it. That's how this goes. The Bible says it's used for exhortation and also rebuke. We will see all that. Look what he says. He says, he gives us. He says, you've been following this, which happened. All the persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. That persecu- what persecutions I endured, and out of them, all the, the Lord delivered me. So that goes back to Romans eight twenty-eight. You're going to go through seasons, but God's using them for His purpose to gain glory. We are. All things work together good for those that love Him, who are called into His purpose, not our own. God don't serve us; we serve Him. And He says, "Yes, and all who desire to live godly, listen to this word: all of those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution." Didn't say they might. The key is those of us who who are committed to living godly. You will be persecuted. If you're going to continue to hold this as the rule of life. Because the world don't want to hear that anymore. And then he says, uh, we will suffer persecution. All of us who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse. Is that not true? We're seeing that. They will grow worse and worse. Deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you've learned and been assured of. Don't do away with the old landmarkers, Isaiah said. Leave them in place. Knowing from whom you... Let me say this. God's The things that have been wrong from God's perspective are still wrong. What changed was, when you came from the old covenant to the new covenant, what changed was, we came into a personal relationship and the sin didn't get lessened. If anything, it went up a notch. Because in the Old Testament, he said you could uh, murder somebody and, and be stoned for it. In the New Testament, he said you could speak evil of somebody and that's equated with murder. That's not letting the standard down. That's taking it up a notch. That where Jesus equated speaking evil against somebody is the same as murdering them. I knew I wouldn't get too many amens there. But you you think people come to the New Testament, they think, oh, everything got easier. It didn't get easier. He's, they talked about committing sexual immorality in the Old Testament, adultery, and then he said you could look upon a woman and have the same act in the New Testament. That ain't, that ain't lowering the standard. What happened was the ability to please God and to do the right thing became great. We had more strength to do that Because Christ now lives in us, right? And the Holy Spirit lives in us. And the shift came because of that, right? But the standard didn't get dropped. How the church fell into that, I do not know. The standard didn't get dropped. Most, I know some churches and preachers that wish Ananias and Sapphira were not in the Bible and at least if it would have happened before Christ had risen from the dead. There's a lot of them wish that. But that didn't happen until after the resurrection. That didn't happen in the Old Testament. They lied to God. They lied to the Holy... They thought they were just lying to Peter. But they were actually lying to the Holy Spirit. Acting like they were given all when they weren't given all. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit dropped them dead in the church house. After the resurrection not before so the standard didn't drop what happened was we had a relationship and it's like I shared with you uh, a couple of weeks ago what happened from the law perspective I'm, I like I don't beat my wife because I'm afraid to go to jail I don't beat my wife because I love her that's the shift right under the law they were afraid of the consequences under the new covenant. It's a love relationship. I don't do those things because I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. See, that's, that's how this works out. Now, he goes on and he says, But you've got to continue the things you've learned, being assured knowing that from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scripture, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And all Scripture, everybody say all Scripture, Is given by inspiration of God and profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, God give us the tools to help the body. And in the body, these things are designed to help us. But the truth should never be altered. And that's what he's saying. He says in chapter 4, he says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead, those that are alive and those that are passed on at the at his appearing and his kingdom, preach now. He's telling Timothy this preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. That's my job. So sometimes you're gonna come here and you're gonna get encouraged, and sometimes you're gonna come here and get put on the spot. I don't know those things. That's between you and the Holy Spirit. But that's what God does with His Word. It's not just good enough as a preacher to preach the Word. It's also you need to be seasoned. These preachers need to be seasoned. we got too many preachers going up into the pulpit to preach instead of coming down into the pulpit. The Bible says Moses was up being with God and he had to come down to speak to the people. That's how preachers should approach the pulpit. They should be coming down from the presence of God to speak to the people not trying to climb up and come up with some good sermon we got to be coming out of the presence of God and handing off to the people what he's handing off to us that's what Moses did he was prime uh, picture of that for us he says that we convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine that's where we're at and look what he says they'll do But according to their own desires, that's why these churches are popping up all over the place with a slant on their lifestyles. They're raising up churches not based on the Word of God, not based because of the cross. They're raising up churches now based on lifestyles. If you live this lifestyle, come to our church because we've altered the Scripture. They're not going to say that, but we've altered the Scripture so you don't have to have any conviction in your life. I thank God for conviction. We all should thank God for conviction because none of us have been perfected. I'm glad when I do something wrong or I'm about to do something wrong, my shirt starts doing this. The Holy Spirit tugging at us, right? I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit. I don't want to be in a church or in a group of people where there's no conviction. Because there's nobody perfect in our churches. The only perfect one is Jesus Christ. But that's the reason they do that. And look what they do. It says, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, and they will will heap for themselves teachers, and uh, they will uh, heap for themselves teachers, they will turn their ears away from the truth. That's what's happening. And be turned aside to fables. They will have their own desires. They won't endure sound doctrine. They will heap up for themselves teachers. They will turn their ears away from truth and be turned to fables, but you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, and and do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. That's the kind of world we live in. I want a God. Listen, you and I don't need a God like us. I think it's Psalm 55 or somewhere around there where God told Israel, I love this and I could just see, I'm going to say it like I think God may have said it. You guys thought I was like you. He probably didn't say it that way. That's how I would have said it. I would have said it sarcastically. What's wrong with you all? God told Israel, he said, you all thought I was like you. That's not the goal here. The goal is not to make God like us. The goal is for us to become like him. And I want to say a word to all of us, myself included. You don't need a God like you. Huh? Just go look in the mirror. I don't need a God that's fallible. I don't need a God like me that's weaker. I, I need a God that's stronger than me. I need a God that's smarter than me. I need a God that has more wisdom than me. I need a God that endures more than me. And I have that God. His name is Jehovah, and He sent His Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. You Tell your neighbor, say, you don't need a God like you. Just go ahead and tell them that. We don't need a God like ourselves. We need a God that's greater than us. I'll, I'll take you to Isaiah chapter 1, then I'll close. This is the problem I see in America. Uh, this could have been written. And I did, we did a year and a half long study in Isaiah, and it was really good. And I can remember how much the Lord spoke to us during that. It's on, it's on our uh, podcasts and our channels, but... Uh, Anyway, it's worth listening to, not because I did it, but because it's God's Word. And you all, most of you know, we go verse by verse. Even this morning, we've been doing mostly that. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 1, and let's see what he says to us here. The reason I use a lot of verses is because I feel like God always says it better than I do. And uh, it says, "...the vision of Isaiah the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, and kings of Judah." Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. I think that is a direct hit on America. He gave us this country. We founded it on him, although there are people trying to take that away now. Everything we did was purposefully to honor God. That was our motivation. None of those men were perfect. I understand that. We could probably take pop shots at all of them, but you know what? They could take pop shots at, you, at us too. And let me say a word to you. If you think your children's going to do everything you did, you've got another thing coming. Because we all correct, and they have those discussions whether you think they do or not. They talk about, well, you know, we did this growing up, and it wasn't the best idea. <laughs> and you know what? That's the way it should be. Generations should grow. I want my children to go deeper in God than I am. And I don't do everything like my mom and dad did. I do a lot of things because they love the Lord and they hand it off to them. But we change some things. And my children are going to do some things different than we. You can't be offended by that. Because the Bible says we're going from glory to glory. And hopefully our children are going to go deeper in this than we are. That, that's great. That's great. I want them to. They better get to studying, though. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> They're going to have to read, get a study if they're going to get ahead of me. And he says, uh, uh, "The ox, look what he said. The ox know its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not consider. they walked away on me. Now they, they think science is more important than my word. Now they think business is more important than my word. Now they think retirement is more important than my word. Now they think this is more important than my word. We cannot do that. Nothing should be greater in your life than the word of God. Amen. And then he says, he says, the ox knows its owner, the donkey smashes crib, but Israel does not know. They forgot that's America. That's us as a nation. Doesn't need to be us individually. A last sinful nation of people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corrupted. That's us. He's talking directly to America. Paul said the things that happened to Israel are for our learning, and we fit the bill. I think America is the second most blessed nation in the history of the world. Nobody has come close to being as blessed as Israel was, except the nation you and I are in right now. We're the second. We're second behind Israel. He says, they have forsaken the Lord. That's us. They have provoked anger, the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backward. That's, that's, that's America as a group. Just do not let it be you. Why should you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faints. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it. But wounds and bruises and putrefying sores, they have not been closed up or bound up or soothed with ointment. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fires. Strangers devour your land. All of that is happening in America. In your presence and in your de- it is desolate and overthrown by strangers. Now, let me take you back to verse 5. Why should you be stricken again? That is my greatest concern for America. That that kind of approach right there. In other words, God's saying, why do I need to discipline you anymore? It ain't working. You know what I've said for years? The worst thing for America that could happen to America is for God to take his hands back and say, okay, you guys have at it. Do your own thing. You talking about chaos. That's what happened in Israel. That's what happened when the judges were raised up. You couldn't even go in certain streets in Israel. That's what happened in Benjamin when they raped that concubine until they killed her. And then they cut her in pieces and sent it out to all the tribes. That's how bad it was. That's that's America. That's America. And God, the worst thing that could happen to America is for God to withdraw His hands and say, Have at it. You guys want to do it your way? Go ahead. And then he says he says verse 8 So the daughter of Zion is left to a booth in a vineyard but a hut in the vineyard, garden of cucumbers as a besieged city unless the Lord of hosts had left us a very small remnant we would have become like Sodom we have been made like Gomorrah we're that remnant The latest statistic I read was that uh, 13% of America is what they would consider a committed Christian I was growing up, it's been a few years now, it Was 70-some 70, 70 percent they used to say about America. But I would say that 13% is probably close. It's probably close. Of people in America who are committed to their Christian walk, who take it seriously and invest in it. And then he goes on to say, he says, Uh, we would have been like Gomorrah if we hadn't had a remnant. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of God, you people of Gomorrah. That's what he's calling his people. That's what he's calling Israel. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or the lambs or goats. They just keep going through the motions. Do not. We cannot fall into that where we just go through the motions. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices; incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies—I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. In other words, they just kept going through the motions, showing up at the right place at the right time, but their heart wasn't in it. That's a challenge for anybody. Is your heart in it? Here's what I say to people: don't have anything in your life that God can't touch. Abraham proved that, didn't he? But he took his son up on the mountain. Even his own son he'd been waiting on for years and years, he was willing to give back to God. So I say that to you. Don't have anything in your life God can't touch. If he tells you that he wants something from you, bring it to him. You're never going to outgive God. No way. Have me figure that out. Never gonna outgive God. And then he says, <clears throat> your new moons, all this. He says, when you he says, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. You see that? That's a horrible spot for any nation to be in. And it's happened to nations. Israel. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Who knows how many, how many babies we've slaughtered in this country. Not to mention all the other murders that go on. How much blood is in America? Millions. We're not talking thousands. We're talking millions upon millions. If Abel's blood God could hear, what do you think he hears from 80 million? It's probably blew a hole in the stratosphere. If he heard one man, one... About one innocent man's blood's crying out. How loud do you think it is? 80 million. Every one of them were innocent. We're the same. Israel is the same way. Your hands are full of blood, he said. Then he gives us a remedy. I'll leave you with the remedy. I took you down the valley. Now let me bring you out, and then we'll close. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Put away the evil, you're doing, uh, evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Now remember, his eyes are everywhere. So that means get rid of your stuff that's not pleasing to him. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. What do you call pure religion? That's two of them right there. What's he upset about? Why would he specifically mention that? Do you realize how we treat our children in this country is horrendous? I'm not saying you do that. Do you know that the foster care system is an epidemic? We know that abortion is an epidemic. It's almost like there's an evil being out there targeting the next generations as they can't even get out of the womb. Now, I'm going to remind you of something, and most people would never speak of this, I need to go before Congress. Can somebody get me in? Because we're missing 80 million people in this country, that means 80 million people aren't paying into the Social Security system that's about to go bankrupt. Wouldn't be going bankrupt if 80 million people were paying into it. 80 million more. That means 80 million people aren't going to buy blue jeans or shoes from Timberland. How many more factories would they have to put up if we had 80 million people? That means they're not buying houses. They're not buying anything. They're not buying groceries. 80 million people. Those 80 million people would bring this country out of debt. Just those 80 million people paying taxes. What have we done? Shot ourselves in the foot. Nobody talks about that though, do they? They don't talk about what we've lost because of that. So the blood's crying out, he says, Defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Somebody say amen to that. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. That's America. God says, hey, here's your answer. You just come to me, turn from your sin, I'll clothe you and make you new. Think of how frustrated the devil is when he's worked on somebody for 45 years. He's had them. They've been doing his will. Right? And they come into a church. And one morning they walk up, surrender their life to Christ. And everything the devil has done for 45 years is null and void. <laughs> that really is the best news in the world. And think how the devil feels when that happens. He has worked 45 years to make this man, to help make this man or woman who they are. And in one moment under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, they lay all that sin down. Whoo! Woo! All that black and sin covered them. And they, their sins are like scarlet. They become as white as snow in a moment, in an instance. And the devil is out there probably popping volumes, <laughs> Thinking, I, have, I had him. I had him. And in two minutes, the Lord washed him clean. Made him new. And he's got a new life. And I am, I've lost another one. Let's give the Lord some praise. Amen. He's worth it. You can stand to your feet. You guys come to instruments. So I, I, I don't want to sugarcoat things and tell you that America's okay. America's not okay. We're in trouble. And uh, we can only hope. And I, I do like the position we're taking with Israel. Certainly that'll find us favor with God. But if we cannot keep turning a deaf ear, right, to His truth. Not be hearers of the word only, but doers of the word. And it starts right here. You and I cannot get weary in doing well because the challenge is there. When you look around, you see everybody else doing everything but the right thing. It's frustrating. I get it. But we've got to stay the course. And you've heard me say this lately. My, who's becoming my favorite dude in the whole Bible is Noah. Think of how long he had to endure. How long he had to stay the course. And I, I think I said, I've said this somewhere. How many coffee pots did he go through here getting that boat built you know I just sitting there in front of his wife 68 years have gone by no rain they're on their seventh coffee pot Noah's like I'm going to hang in there I'm going to hang in there that's got to be us amen father we thank you for your, your love your mercy we thank you for your salvation thank you for your word it's a lamp to our feet and a light in our path Lord, there is nowhere else to go if we turn away from your word. It is the way, the truth, and the life. You are the word made flesh. You and the word are one and the same, Jesus. So I ask you, Lord, to just strengthen us as we follow you. Help us not to back away from your word, from the Bible, from your truth. Help us to stand for it. Help us to live the definition of a Christian. Help us to be followers of you. Your teachings. And God, I just pray that if there's anybody under the sound of my voice that's never surrendered their life to you, for whatever reason, today's the day. Today's the day that Satan loses another person or two or three. We just pray, God, that your conviction will draw them in. Maybe they're watching us on our YouTube channel or going to catch this podcast this week. Somebody is ready to give their life to you fully and not follow the world any longer but begin to follow you if that's you this morning will you come will you surrender your life to Jesus do not feel out of place of walking down the aisle or coming to this altar we use our altars here we've all walked that aisle will you come whatever your need is will you come this morning as we worship Make your way out, and get your elements. season belongs to us, the followers of Christ. We'll talk about some of this probably, but it's clear that Jesus wasn't born in December. But the point I want to make is we set aside this time every year to celebrate God sending His Son. I don't care what month He came. I've studied some of that and learned some stuff, but what's important is that we realize he came he took our place the greatest gift we've ever been given is Jesus Christ and so we're told as we do what we're getting ready to do to remember his death remember how he died what all he went through As a parent or a grandparent or a caregiver, could you have done that? Could you have sent your child off somewhere knowing that that was the result? How would you like to be Jesus? Be born? And probably before, but at least by 12, he knew exactly where he was headed. How'd you like to live your whole life or most of your life? staring at that death, that cross knowing that's where you're at there's a little bit of relief in some way of us not knowing when our time is going to come but how about knowing the very day the very hour, the very moment that they're going to beat you and nail you to a tree and staring at that while you're feeding 5,000 while you're walking on the water while you're raising the dead all in the backdrop there's that cross that was his destiny to go hang on that tree we should remember that and we should be the most happy people on the earth the people whose eyes have been opened and realize that somebody hung on that tree for us Thank you Lord for your body being broken for hanging on that tree for me not only me but all of us thank you for dying like a sinner so I could go free my freedom is in you in you I live and move and have my being and I eat this bread with understanding of that This cup, Lord, this fruit of the vine that represents your sacrifice and your blood, washing away my sins. Though our sins be like scarlet, they will be white as snow thanks to your cleansing. So I hold this cup with full assurance that my sins have been washed away by the fountain of your blood and I rejoice in your sacrifice in Jesus name so don't let the world steal these next two weeks from you and remember that whatever functions you do make sure if nobody else is going to do it make sure you bring up Jesus make sure you bring it up Wherever you go, if nobody else is say, "Hey, wait a minute now, hold on to that Tonka toy and that Barbie doll," let's talk about why we're here. Nothing better than to give, right? It's more blessed to give than to receive. So, I don't have a problem with people blessing each other and rejoicing and celebrating. The world's going to do just opposite that. You know that. The Bible says when those two witnesses get killed in the middle of tribulation, they're going to give gifts to one another. They're celebrating death. How much more should we give gifts? We're celebrating life. They're going to be surprised after three and a half days, though, when those two boys get up. I'm going to be watching that from heaven. So remember, don't let anybody steal this season from us. We know what it's about. Amen? Stay with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of them. Give him praise one more time.